There are so many things that we are going to be talking about. We're going to be in this text for at least a couple of more weeks. But doesn't it jump out at you? Pharaoh says, I've heard that you can do this. No. It's not me. It's God. It's not in me. It's God. You know, when you are able to do something, do you give the glory to God or do you receive it for yourself? You sing something and people say, man, that was beautiful. Yes, I am pretty good. You never say that out loud, but that's in the heart, especially Thelma. You should have seen her as she was walking down. I knew that's what she was thinking. <laughs> you know, but whatever it is that you do, one of my favorite uh, uh, quotes on this, I've got a book. It's called Bun Hill Memorials. There's a famous cemetery in London, England. It's right across from uh, John Wesley's chapel. It's called Bun Hill Fields. And uh, it used to be called Bone Hill Fields because they had scooped up all of the, they'd gone to all the cemeteries and gotten the bones of all the unregistered church people and dumped them in a place. And it was a kind of a mound. It was called a Bone Hill. They changed it to Bun Hill Fields. And that's where anybody that wasn't a part of the Church of England had to be buried because you weren't allowed to be buried on church ground. That's right across from there. Well, I've got a book about the preachers that are buried there. And one of them, I can't remember his name, but he pastored for 40-some years. And it was said, this was said about him. When someone would say to him, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. He was often seen with a tear in his eye to say, Give the glory to God. The man's a sinner. That's awesome. That, that's the attitude that Joseph had right here. Now, before we get into the dream and we talk about all of those things, I want to look at just one verse today. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. I want to talk about at the end of two full years. Now, remember uh, that we've studied a principle, at least in my class. It's called the law or the principle of measured words. Uh, Look at the book of John. Keep your place in Genesis, but look at the book of John. John chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Now, that's interesting. When you think about what Jesus actually did, can you imagine what's not in the Bible? And sometimes we think that this is hyperbole, that this is just, you know, I suppose that the books of the world couldn't contain it. No, when you think about what Jesus Christ actually did by entering into the world, time, entering into time and space, creating the world, speaking everything into existence, and then upholding all things by the word of its power, that means that if you wrote down how Jesus Christ is holding you together at every moment, the books of the world could not contain it. Amen? That's what the Bible says. And it's not hyperbole, it's true. That's how great our God is. So the idea is... 
the principle of measured words was that God chose to use only a small amount of space to record the things he wants us to know. That means that every word is vitally important. None of them arbitrary. None of them accidental. They're all there on purpose. Amen? So now go back to Genesis chapter 41. And it came to pass at the end of two full years. How many of you think those two years were a long time for Joseph? At the end of two full years. I've got three things that I want you to see from this passage. Number one, the pain of living forgotten. Forgotten. Look at chapter 40, verse 23. Remember the, the baker is hung, the butler is released. Verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Can you imagine? He thinks, this is my chance to get out. And now he's got to live there completely forgotten. His family doesn't know where he is. None of his friends know where he is. He is stuck. Have you ever felt like nobody cares about you? Seriously. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat worms and die. You, you felt that way. I think to a certain extent, many of us feel that way. But can you imagine being where he was? As I was studying for this, I thought of something that I read a couple of years ago. This is a book called Missionary Memorials. It was written about 100 years ago. And uh, in this section, it's talking about a man named Evan Jones. Evan Jones, I mentioned um, David Jones last week. He passed the Church of the Great Valley. Out of that church came Evan Jones. They weren't related. But Evan's jo Evan Jones becomes a missionary to the Cherokee Indians in North Carolina and Georgia before the Trail of Tears. Well, Georgia wanted to take over the land that the Indians had, so Georgia passed a law stating that you could go in and if you lived among the Cherokee, you had to take an oath that you would stand by the laws of Georgia. The laws of Georgia were that anybody could come and take anything they wanted from the Cherokee. Well, the Supreme Court decided that Georgia didn't have the right to make that law because a state can't pass a law concerning another state. So uh, the, the idea would be Ohio can't pass a law that would uh, cover Indiana and no one else. It, it, they just can't do it. Not only that, but they decided that this was Cherokee land. It wasn't even land belonging to the United States of America, so how could Georgia pass that law? Well, there were a group of missionaries that went, eight of them, that went and lived among the Cherokee who would not take that oath. Listen to what this says. In 1831, 11 persons were arrested and tried for the crime of living among the Cherokees without taking an oath to obey the laws of Georgia. All were found guilty and all pardoned on taking the oath except two missionaries of the American board. So this is the Baptist missionaries that had gone down there. These were Mrs. Worcester and Butler, would not confess and accept pardon and were committed to the penitentiary and for one year and four months, they performed hard labor among felons. Can you imagine what hard labor among felons in Georgia in 1831 looked like? It says, prison clothes were put upon them, bearing about the waist the initials of their names in large red letters. 
The Supreme Court of the United States cited the offending, case, the offending state to appear for trial. It ignored the call. The case was argued, however, and Chief Justice Marshall pronounced a decision in favor of the missionaries, declaring the laws of Georgia extending jurisdiction over the Cherokee country to be repugnant to the Constitution, treaties, and laws of the United States, and therefore null and void. States' rights were then asserted, and the complications seemed to increase. But a mediator appearing, each party, the state government, and the two prisoners withdrew proceedings, and the missionaries were released, and again went about their master's business. You know, it's interesting. Here are these guys in prison with prison clothes, with their initials in large red letters on their prison clothes, doing hard labor. Why? Because they wanted to preach the gospel to the Cherokee and didn't think that anyone had the right to steal from them. But they weren't forgotten. Someone was fighting for them. And in this case, the Supreme Court of the United States of America was fighting for them. Who was fighting for Joseph? But the Lord was with him. You see, it's very painful to be alone. It's very painful to be forgotten. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. We hear about the word meekness. The word meekness, when we think of the word meek, and it's come to be a saying, meek is a mouse. So the idea is that you've got somebody, they're very mousy, they're very small, uh, they're, they're very uh, uh, timid. That's not what meekness is. I looked up meekness in Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Here's his definition. Softness of temper, mildness, gentleness, forbearance under injuries and provocations. Well, that's just the opposite of I've got my rights. Listen to what he says. In an evangelical sense, humility resignation, submission to the divine will without murmuring or peevishness, opposed to pride, arrogance, and refractoriness. Now, I'm not sure what refractoriness is, but I don't think it's good. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 10 says, I beseech you by the meekness of Christ. It says, this is, the, this is the citation that Webster gives to describe meekness. Meekness is a grace which Jesus alone inculcated and which no ancient philosopher seems to have understood or recommended. Isn't that interesting? What is meekness? Meekness is submission to the divine will without complaining or peevishness. What's peevishness? Have you ever heard somebody, they're peeved? You know what? I'll take it, but I don't have to like it. I'm just a little ticked off. That's the opposite of meekness. And it's interesting that Moses is identified as the meekest man on the face of the earth. And what was his greatest failing? He lost his temper and hit the rock. It's just so amazing how God will bring us to a place where we don't know what's going on, we feel completely forgotten, and then we're supposed to be meek about it. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. How many of you would say meekness is not your greatest trait? Someone say that? Yeah, me either. Me either. That's why you've got to have the mind of Christ. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to understand that God has a plan for you and for me. So the pain of living forgotten. 
You know what's interesting, though, about Joseph? We don't, have, we don't ever have a record of while he's in prison. He asked them to remember him, but no, no record of him ever complaining or being peeved or murmuring. He just went about his business. Why? Because God told him he was going to sit on a throne, and he believed God. How many of you believe God today? Man, I love all the young people raising their hands right now. Praise God. So, number one, the pain of living forgotten. Then number two, the plan of a loving father. The plan of a loving father. What if Joseph had been remembered? You know, because to me, I don't know about you guys, to me, the butler looks like a pretty bad guy in here. How many of you ever, someone has ever done something really nice for you, and then a month or two later you think, I didn't send a thank you note. I didn't. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, me too. Don't you feel terrible about that? When I look at the butler, I think, what is this knucklehead thinking? You know, honestly, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say it. But I'll bet you he didn't want to bring up to Pharaoh anything about the jail. Because he didn't want to go back. It wasn't a pleasant place to be. So here you have, the Bible calls it a dungeon. The Bible says they were in irons. The Bible says that they were in torment. That's what it says about Joseph. Now here, the Bible calls it his afflictions. But what if he had been remembered? Think about this. If he had been remembered, he would have gone back to Canaan. He'd gone home. If he had gone home, two years later, nobody would have been there to interpret Pharaoh's dream. If no one had been there to interpret Pharaoh's dream, no one would have understood that the famine was coming and no one would have stored the grain for the seven years of famine. If no one stored the seven years of grain, the seven years worth of grain for the famine then no one in Canaan would have heard that there was grain in Egypt. And no one from Canaan would have gone to Egypt to be preserved. And the seed, the chosen people that were going to bring about the Messiah would have died of starvation. If Joseph had been released, if Joseph had been remembered... For two years, Joseph had no idea what was coming. He had no idea that Pharaoh would dream. He had no idea that he would save his brethren. And he certainly didn't have any idea that by being in that stinky prison, that he would be preserving the line of the Messiah. He had no idea. That was the hand of a loving God. Would you look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a passage of Scripture that all of us should be very familiar with. Verse 17. For our light affliction... Now, look at who's writing that. Who, who, who's the human hand that penned 2 Corinthians? The Apostle Paul, his light affliction. He was, he was scourged five times, beaten with rod three times, shipped in, in, in the deep a night and a day. That means he's, he's floating on a piece of scrap wood for a day and a half in the ocean. He's in perils by night, perils by day, 
And look at what he says. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. No, wait a minute. It wasn't for a moment. It was for two full years. What's the eternal perspective? It's but for a moment. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Joseph's imprisonment, which was affliction, even though it was just for a moment on eternity. How how long is two years in eternity? It's but for a moment. But what did it work? Look at what it says. It worketh far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What was being accomplished in Joseph? God was preparing him. He had him be an administrator of his father's things. Then he was an administrator of Potiphar's things. Then he was an administrator of the jail's things. Now he's going to be an administrator of the world. God was working in him something that would produce a more exceeding weight of glory. But even more than that, Joseph's greatest accomplishment wasn't to be the second most important man in the world. His greatest accomplishment was he saved many people alive. Why is that so important? Is there anyone here that's glad you're saved today? (laughs) You would not be saved today if Joseph hadn't been in prison for two full years after he had interpreted the dream for the butler. We need to understand that God has a plan. And it's easy for us to understand His plan for Joseph. It's not so easy for Him for us to understand His plan for us. Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? But do you know what will happen at the end of your life? Do you know what you'll be able to say? For I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you think maybe Joseph could say that by the end of his life? But could he say it while he was in the jail? No, but he kept his attitude right. He kept going right. That's the plan of a loving God. Now look at verse 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. While we look, and here's why he was able to do it. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are are eternal. And that brings us to our third point. Our first point was the pain of living forgotten. Second point, the plan of a loving father. The third point is the perspective of living forever. When you take, when you get rid of a temporal, temporary perspective and understand that we worship the God of eternity, things change. Things change. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.18 again. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Back in Genesis chapter 41, verse 1. After two full years. Remember, in the Jewish calendar, there were 360 days. So that's 720 days. Can't you just picture him scratching something on his cell wall? Day one. Well, day two. 
day 700. Day 701. Do you know what that is? That's Joseph's perspective. That's our perspective. Do you know what God's perspective was on day 700? Just 19 more days till Pharaoh's dream. Just 18 more days to Pharaoh's dream. Just 17 more days to Pharaoh's dream. It is a completely different perspective. It's an eternal perspective submitted to the plan of God. So how do we, how do we get God's perspective? When we're looking, when we're in this place and we're looking at what's going on with the world economy and we're looking at the, there's all this oil spilling down in the Gulf and there's all this stuff going on. Isn't it interesting that we have that oil spill? Right as our president is snubbing Israel again. It's just a coincidence. We had some visitors. How many of you remember the message I preached on that? The leader's ignorance of the word of God is a dangerous thing. How many of you remember that message? Talking about every time we snub Israel, there's a natural disaster that happens. We had some guests here that day, a younger couple, and I was walking behind them. And, you know, I said, I heard this guy, that guy's nuts. <laughs> well, that may be, but it's just interesting that the day that Israel, based on threats by the United States of America, with guns, removes Israelis from the settlements in Gaza. Do you know what happened the next day? Katrina. Just a coincidence, right? But we're in the middle of all this stuff. We have a government that is really doing... You know, someone said that if God doesn't destroy America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. The only reason that we're being preserved is because God promised, if you bless Israel, I'll bless you. Bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. As we stand behind Israel, God protects us and helps us. Now we've got a government that is turning their backs on Israel, snubbing the Israeli government, taking the side of terrorists over Israel. Man, what are we going to do? We're, we're living in this world. We don't know what's going to happen with the economy. When Iran, imagine this, Iran, who just a few years ago was talking about getting rid of the dollar as the, the trade currency for oil. Remember that? And going to the euro. You know what they did this week? They got rid of all their euros. They dumped them. Why? Because the euro is about to collapse. If the euro collapses, what does that do? Collapses. What does that do to our economy? China owns billions and trillions of dollars of our debt. What are we going to do with all that? How are we supposed to look at it all? How does God look at it? It could be nineteen more days to the rapture. Eighteen more days to the rapture. Seventeen more days to the rapture. Remember, what do we have after two full years? The pain of living forgotten, the plan of a loving father, and the perspective of living forever. Folks, we need to live with an eternal perspective. We need not be shaken by what's going on in the world. We need to be aware of it, trusting the plan of a loving God. Do you know what? When I look at all the world events going on, do you know what that does for me? It really says... We can trust God because he told us all of it was going to happen. Amen? Joseph.
For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So here's my question for you. Do you love God? If you love God, would you raise your hand? You genuinely love God. All right. Question number two. Do you trust Him? Let's all stand. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Joseph.